we would be a people who long to worship the King. He's worthy of that. Um, I want you to open up your bulletins. In your bulletin, there's, a, there's two inserts. One is the yellow card. I want you to start filling that out now. Fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. Um, Gus was telling you about it. Feel free to fill it out now. If you don't have a pencil, you're going to need one, or a writing utensil, you're going to need one. So go ahead and raise your hand. You're going to need it for the uh, sermon map, and you're going to also need it. So these beautiful people on this side need it. These beautiful people on this side need a pencil. Hosts, you, you're seeing this. Um, just keep your hand up for about 40 seconds, and there are going to be people who are walking to you. To um, We're in a two-week series. Just keep your hand up. They're walking to you, and in just a couple of seconds, they'll, they'll give you uh, a writing utensil. Thank you, hosts. We appreciate you guys. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to go ahead and get started with our series, or we're going to continue in our series. So, um, okay, you got your stuff? Okay, good. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for um, really being yours. Lord, I pray that the longing and the desire of our heart is to worship you. That truly we would pant after you, long after you, thirst after you, um, like a hungry, like a thirsty deer. Lord, we would, that we would pursue you, because you alone are the one that protects. You alone are one that lifts up. You are our strength and our shield. And so, Father, I ask that in a very powerful way, you would give us ears to hear what, we, what you would say to us through your word. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, last week, we agreed, we discussed, that there is nobody here who needs lessons on worship. Nobody here who needs lessons on worshiping. That is something that comes as natural to you as uh, jumping up when you see a home run get hit or uh, celebrating when you see your favorite football team. I was, uh, uh, I, I won't tell you what the artist is, but I have, like, I'm in the closet about this one particular artist, right? And, um, and I won't even tell you who it is because it'll distract you. Um, but I'm totally in the closet about this one, and I was with my friend, Ray, and you know how, like, you walk by a P.C. Richards or something like that, and they have this particular artist um, playing, uh, you know, they're showing concert footage, and I, I never did this, but I stopped. And I was just like, you know, and I, w I was about to sing the song, but I won't, because uh, you'll know. And then, um, and I was just like, yeah, you know, I just love this artist. I'm totally, in nobody has to get me excited about this particular artist, right? I'm just excited about him, right? I'm totally in the closet, right? So, um, nobody has to get you excited about some of the things that you're excited about, right? There's, a, there's, a, you know, there's these warm fuzzies. Nobody has to train us on how to worship. Worship is something we do naturally. It's like if you throw a baby in the water. They'll naturally swim, right? What we're saying is, in this series, what we're saying is that the, sort of the antenna of your heart needs to be shifted from the very thing that you're worshiping now to what you should be worshiping. All of us are worshipers. The question is, what do we worship? Remember the story I told you last week, right? A couple of years ago, some of you are new, so I'll, I'll explain. A couple of years ago, um, 
I had this thing where I had Mel Gibson show up for the first time. You guys remember this story, some of you, right? Had Mel Gibson show up. It was a big, huge deal. Everybody lost their minds. If you want to hear the whole story in its entirety, listen to this. Uh, go on the website, uh, NBT Church, and uh, listen to the story. Or you can, if you, you're, you can buy the CD, and that's too, or you can listen to it free online. But um, so we did this thing where Mel Gibson showed up, and everybody lost their minds. When I tell you that everybody lost their minds, like bras were being thrown on the stage, and like it was just everybody lost their mind. There was one particular woman. There was one particular woman who was on her chair, and she was, this was her. She had absolute. She was like she looked like she had to go to the bathroom and was excited all at the same time. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. And then after we did that whole thing, because it was like a 15-minute setup, and after we did that whole thing, everybody jumped up, celebrated, clapped, because Mel Gibson had showed up. We stopped, and we simply said this. That was worship. That was real worship. That was thoroughgoing worship. I don't have to get some of you excited about the Yankees. You already worship the Yankees. I don't have to get, you, I don't have to get some of you excited about your girlfriends. You already worship your girlfriends. I don't have to get you excited about some of your boyfriends. You already worship. See, here's the thing. We are worshipers. The question is, what will we worship? If you're not sure about what you worship, think about what you're willing to compromise your morals, your principles, and your standards for. And you'll find what you worship. You'll find what you worship. Oh, but I love him. Yes, 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 I get that. What I'm saying is, you just don't love him. You worship him. Because when your God says, hey, when your God says, hey, that's not healthy. Don't do that. And the thing that you worship says, no, I want you to worship me. Then you go with the thing that you worship. There was a person who used to come to uh, our congregation. They're not here now. And they absolutely love their kids. Now, let me ask you something. Kids, good or bad? Pop quiz. Good, absolutely. Who doesn't love kids, right? I mean, like, right? Everybody loves your kids. Are good. Kids are gifts from God. And yet, what he did was, he he had his kid play t-ball on Sunday. Anybody know what t-ball is? Yeah, it's yeah, it's sissy ball, right? Right? It's for kids who can't play, who can't actually, right? If you have to play, t- if you if you're taking your kids to play t-ball. Yeah, just to go, oh, wow, that's a sissy. Because they, they just put a, a little stick there, right? It's all right. Your kids are sissies. It's okay. So, um, so you put, right, you put the little stick there, and then the ball doesn't move. The ball doesn't move. And whether the kid hits the ball or not, they get to run to first base. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's sissy ball, right? So um, he stopped. He stopped coming to the Sunday service. You know why? Because his kid had to go to sissy ball. He couldn't let his kids miss sissy ball. He couldn't. It, it was like, you know why? Because the kid was a good thing that had turned into a God thing. Does that make sense? It was a good thing that had turned into a God thing. And now his kid doesn't play sissy ball. He's too old for that. But he's still not here. And he's still not worshiping God. And his marriage is still a wreck. And his life is still in shambles. Why? Because he worshipped the wrong thing. And it hurt him. Today. Today we're going to... Now, this was supposed to... Remember what I told you last week? 
This is supposed to be a four-week series. It got down to two weeks. So last week, we talked about you are a worshiper. We want to just kind of erase that from your mind. You don't know how to worship. Teach me how to worship. Let me worship. I don't know how to worship. That's not true. You worship beautifully. It's like when guys go, no, but I'm not emotional. I'm not emotional like that. I go, I don't know. I've seen you at boxing matches. You're a pretty emotional guy, right? Uh, No, but I can't talk to my wife because I don't express myself. I don't know. I've seen you at football games. You're pretty expressive, right? Right? Yeah. So, so, so this is not an issue of not being a worshiper. I I don't have a, you know, it's not my, in my nature or it's, this is not my propensity. No, no, no. You're a worshiper. The question is, what do you worship? Simple. Because that which grabs your affections, that which you find your satisfaction in, that which you look to for joy and pleasure, is your God. And you bow dutifully to it. And it's the real God. Watch this. And some of us, some of us, only pursue Jesus, our God, only insofar as Jesus, our God, gives us our God. So, this is what this looks like. If you've ever said, you know, I've tried you know, going to church, it just doesn't work for me. You've experienced going to Jesus, our God, to make him get you your God. Let me tell you how this works out. A couple comes in, they come into church, uh, and when I say they come into church, they come into the co- congregation, and they worship as a congregation, and they, for like three or four weeks, and then they stop coming. I go up to them, and eventually I see them, I go, gosh, why? Why did you stop coming? Things were going better. It goes, no, my, my husband left. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Why didn't you just... Like, when you're in pain, it's more of a reason to pursue Jesus. It's more of a reason to pursue God. No, 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 don't you understand? Don't you understand? And they never say it like this, but this is what they mean. God didn't give me my God. See, he was my God. And I thought if I just go to God, God would give me my God and I would be happy. And I'll pursue God with passion, with, with sincerity, so long as my God gives me my God. Right? You're single, you come to church, and you go, I'm going to find me a girl. Right? Because everybody knows, right? And, and, you know, if you look at the statistics, the ladies love Jesus, right? Like, um, it's like 80%, like the church is like 60 to 80%, depending on what church you go to. Uh, women. So if you're if you're looking for you know uh, uh, a way to get married, yeah, man, go to church, right? And so, and so they go. The guys come in and they go, they go. I'll pursue you, God, in so far as you give me. I will be passionate about you, God, to the degree that you will give me what I truly worship. Her. You see. And so when you break up with her, of course. You have no need for Jesus because Jesus didn't give you your God. Makes perfect sense. See, are you a worshiper? That's not the question. The question is, what do you worship? That was last week. This week, we're talking about what worship, what kind of effect worship has on your life. Because worship should have an effect on your life. When you worship, let me tell you something. If you're, okay, I was talking to a a, a guy who came down. And uh, we were talking, and, you know, man, if you give me a minute, I'll take an hour. I'm like a cowboy, right? Give me an inch, and I'll take a yard. I, 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 if you start a conversation with God with me, I just, I, I feel compelled, right, to go on, right? And so he was talking about how he loved God his whole life, and he was with, down with God his whole life. And I said, really? 
I said, yeah, when was the last time you've been to church? I was like, man, it's been years. It's been years. I'm like, no kidding. Okay. All right. When was the last time you read your Bible? Well, he just recently got in trouble with the law. So he, while he hadn't read his Bible recently, he started to pray, right? Because he just recently got in trouble with the law, and that makes sense, right? Everybody becomes spiritual when they're in front of a judge. In fact, I've often thought about putting a gavel and, uh, and, a, and a bench here and walking up. Because there's such a sense of prayer when we walk into a courtroom, right? And so, uh, so yeah, he goes, well, you know, I just recently started praying. I bet you did. I bet you did. Praying like Jesus, I bet. Yeah, sure. And so, but what we discovered, what we discovered is that he hadn't, no, he hadn't prayed for a long time in this situation. Now, I asked him, well, are you a fan of anything? He said he's a fan of a particular sports team. I think it was the Giants. And he goes, well, what is that? Well, you know, I can't come on Sundays because for this, and he was explaining to me why he couldn't come for the next, whatever, 20 weeks. What, how long is football, right? It's like 16 weeks, right? It's like, whatever. It was like, a, it was like a long time, right? I can't come to church because, watch this, it's football season. And I was like, oh, my God. Why did I think of that, right? I bet God is in heaven going, oh, my God, no, not on the Giants. I don't want you to miss that because that's too important. And so, um, so he, he, missed, he, he, he would miss for at least these 20 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever it is. Uh, he would miss it. And I said, well, you know what you are? You're a worshiper. It changes your life. He goes to particular uh, sport bars, you know, sporting bars. He, um, the, on, on Saturdays, his day is taken up because they do the whole point spread kind of, you know, thing where you watch TV and they said, these people are going to win by this much. I don't know anything about sports, but it took up all of his time and his energy. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. He was a worshiper. You know why? Worship affected his day-to-day activity. At work, he would have this, like, you know, thing where you pick the teams and, you know, you put $10 a week or whatever and whoever wins. What do you call that? Anybody know? Football score. What? Yeah, like the little box. Pool. A pool. Right, right, right. And so they do the football pool. And so, so now watch this. Listen to me. That's because your worship affects your life. It really does. It really does. In other words, it's rough to have integrity and say, I am really, like, okay, I'm really dedicated to health. It's rough. And you're like 80 pounds overweight. And I'm not talking about, like, you used to be 100 pounds overweight, and now you're 80 pounds overweight, and you're going in the right direction. I'm talking about it's rough. Like, who here, who here, honestly? Be honest. And I'm I'm just saying this as as a point of reference. If you went to a gym, and they said, oh, yeah, Travis, your personal trainer, is going to come right out, and he's going to help you. And Travis weighed 346 pounds, and he's eating a bag of nachos, right? <laughs> and he came out, right? And he had the nachos on his, like, you know, thing, and he's, like, you know, on his shirt. And Travis said, whoo, we're going to whip you into shape. And then he just started to eat his nachos and stuff like that, right? Who here would go, yes, that's the guy I want to train me? That's the guy I want, that's the guy I want me to, you, you know why? Because there's a disconnect between what he says he believes in and what is expressed in his life. Now, it, honestly, if you're 350 pounds and you're, you, you could be 350 pounds and be about health if you're going in the right direction, going, you know what, I'm eating well, and, uh, you know, although I have a medical condition, I'm doing this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you say you're a worshiper of God, it should have an overflow. It should have an outflow. And if it does not have an outflow, 
then maybe, maybe not so much. I want you to jump into your Bibles to a little-known book called Micah. 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 Um, it's in the Old Testament. We're going to jump there. Now, if you're here for the first time, when I came to church for the first time, you know what one thing I did not bring? A Bible. Because I didn't have one. Because I didn't go to church. So inside your bulletin, oh, we thought about you. You're just going to open up your bulletin, and you're going to be able to follow along. And so we want you to know, if you're here for the first time, we absolutely love you. We think about you. We create this service in order for you to be able to understand God's word and be able to follow along. But it's right there. If you have your Bibles, just kind of open up your Bibles and um, open up to the book of Micah. Now, look up at me. Micah is giving um, several sort of indictments to God's people. And as he's giving them several indictments, he moves to six and seven, and then he kind of creates a, almost a, a court system. He, he, he kind of starts in chapter six, and he says, and God starts asking his people, why have you left me? Why? And it kind of, he kind of uses this language, he kind of uses language that's like a, a courtroom language, right? He kind of uses courtroom language. And so God starts asking these questions. He goes, why have you left me? Don't you remember? And then God starts reminding them about what you've done. If you're, if, listen to me, if you're ever feeling in a dry time, I want you to just reflect about all the things that God has done in your life, all the things that he's done in your marriage, all the things that he's done. Like, even if you were raised as a Christian, you could look back and go, oh, my. Like, I, I, I do this with my son. When my son was like seven or eight years old, I said, watch that boy. Watch where he ends up. Watch that person. Watch where they end up. Because I could see where they were going. And as much as we tried to invest in their lives and as much as we tried to bless them, they were just going in a rebellious way. And you just watch them. And now that he's a little bit older, he's almost 20, he can see and he goes, oh man, God, you've really kept me from harm. Well, if you've been around the Lord for a minute, you know that God has kept you from harm, that he's blessed you, that he's loved you. If, you've, if, you, if you're like me, and you like sinned your fill, you know what I'm saying when I say that, right? Like you blew it big time, you were the biggest loser, right? And you were just like, you totally messed up, right? And then you came to God as the last house on the block, right? Anybody? Am I the only one? Right? Right? You came to God as, as the last house on the block. There was abs. You tried everything else. Everything didn't work. And you came to God, and he just sort of, by his mercy, saved you and and. Well, Micah, in the beginning of chapter 6, has God reminding his people about all that he's done. Because for them, God was the last house on the block. For them, God is the last person to go to. For them, God wasn't at the forefront in their life. Now, the thing is, is that they, they would say, no, but we worship God. We love God. And God was saying, no, this doesn't reflect your life. Now, here's the deal. Today's message, and I want you to listen very closely to this. Today's message is to believers. Today's message is not to people who are still kicking the Christian tires. So, if you're just still kicking the Christian tires, and you're going, I don't know if I'm ready to buy into this yet. 
you don't know if you, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, if you're still doubting, not doubting, because you could be, listen, I doubt. I mean, my goodness, we're, we're going to have a whole series on doubt. Don't worry about that. But if you, if, you, um, if you are in the place where you have not submitted your life under Christ, then this message isn't for you. You know what you can You could count lamps. You could relax. You could go to the bathroom and come back like a half hour later. You could do whatever you want, right? Now, I think that this message will have, but watch this. If you don't know Jesus, or if you're wrestling, or if you're like my kids who are growing up and going, I don't know. I know he's your God. I don't know that he's my God. If you're like my kids who go through that sort of stuff, listen to me. This message is going to be good for you. Because it's going to describe a little bit more about what it means for worship to be a part of your life. But it's to believers. This is not a message about how to get saved. This is a, a message about what one's life looks like after they're saved. This is not a message of how to become a worshiper. This is a message of what worship looks like after you're worshiping Jesus. Make sense? So we're going to go to Micah. Um, chapter 6, I'm going to go to Micah, chapter 6, I'm going to go to verse 6. Now, what happens is in chapter 6, there's a transition, and first it's God speaking. Micah is sort of being the voice, he's sort of playing the voice of God. And so that's 1 through 5, and you could hear God's voice, hey, didn't I take you out of Egypt, didn't I do it? So God goes like this, God goes like this, didn't I take you from captivity to liberty? Didn't I bless you from bondage to freedom? Didn't I bless you when you were at your lowest point and totally engrossed in this? You were stuck, couldn't get yourself out. Didn't I free you? Didn't I free you? And so God is saying, I've done these great things for you. And some of us know exactly what that's like. Isn't it true? And it's true that many of us have gone through the experience of, oh, 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 dear. I've really messed up pretty bad. And then God just, oof, oof. And, and God saved me from my mess. And sometimes I didn't thank him for years until I finally found Jesus. And go, oh, so you were the one who were pulling the strings. You, you know, some of us have experienced that with our parents even. You know, as flawed as our parents could be. Oh, you provided food. You, you know, you gave some direction. You did something. Okay, so now... Let's read their response. Now, their response to God is this. With what shall I come before the Lord? Okay. Okay. Have you ever been in a relationship? This is not like, this is not like a humble sort of reply. This is almost, well, I, it, you could read this different ways. This is almost like, have you ever been in a relationship and said this? Nothing I ever do is good enough. Yeah, you've been in a relationship or two like that, right? And so, nothing I ever do is good enough for you. You're never satisfied. And so, you know, it's just like, so you, go, so you go into this thing where you go like, what do you want? What? Do you want my blood or something, you know, right? So we say stuff like that and we go, what do you want? Like, you know, like, you know, what do you, so this is the kind of language that we're going to hear right now. And it's going to get progressively more intense. It's going to get progressively more intense, like some of you do. Like some of you do. Okay, 
And so he goes, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? In other words, how should I worship you? Because I'm saying I worship you and you're saying I'm not. So then make it clear. How do I worship you? Interesting. He goes, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? This makes sense because this is exactly what God said. God said, hey, I want you to come before me. I want you to get the best calf. I want you to make it a year old. In other words, it was a sacrifice unto the Lord. It was precious. What what they were saying is that I don't put my trust in my stuff. I'm putting my trust in God. And so people would bring that. And I was like, oh, man. But now it, it gets very rhythmic and very poetic. And watch this. It starts with what is good. And then it moves on to more intensity. Um, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? You seeing, you seeing the exaggeration? Thousands? Of, no, one would be fine. All right? What, do you want my blood? No, I just want you on time. Right? You know, what? Do you want me, what, do you want me to quit my job? No, I just want you to be honest about where you're going. Okay, no, let's not be... Let's not be overly dramatic, right? Okay. Some of y'all are not getting this. It's all right. It's all right. I'm going to come over here. Y'all make me nervous. All right. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I, and this is just rhythmic. This is beautiful. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? should I worship you, God? It's not complex. It's not outside your ability to do. Here's the good news. The good news is that if God asks you to do something, he'll empower you to do the very thing. If God says to you, listen, I want you to Go in this direction for this length of time, and I want you to do it. If he directs you to do it, he'll empower you to make it happen. So if God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be generous to this degree. God, I don't know how. I don't have enough. He goes, listen, listen, listen. If I direct you to do it, I'll empower you to pull it off. If he says, I want you to give of your time and attention and affection to this person. But God, I don't feel like I have any more time. I will. If I direct you to do it, I'll empower you to carry it through. Should I give up my children the sin, uh, the, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Some people think that worshiping God is a very complex issue. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Come, come, join us. Worshiping God is what you would do if you knew who God truly was. It would come from the depths of your belly. It would be a joy, not a burden. It would be a get-to, not a have-to. You would be overjoyed. They say... Does God want to be unreasonable? Listen to what God says. 
God says this, verse 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. In other words, all this other stuff, listen to me. Not important. Listen to what's important. And what does the Lord require of you? You ready? To act. Why don't we read this together on a count of three, okay? One, two, three. To act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Now, look up at me. Do you understand now why I told you that this is not a sermon about how to get saved, but a sermon about what to do as, after you're saved? Do you understand that this is not how to get to worship God, but what you do once you're a worshiper of God? Because if you confuse this, and if you preach this message, like this is what you have to do to get God to like you, you and I are done. Because the fact is that we're not that just. We're pretty self-centered people. The fact is, is that we're not that merciful. Only to the degree, listen, I'll cross as many little old ladies across the street so long as they're going my way. I'm just good like that. I'm like, the, I'm, I'm good like that, right? I, I, you know, I, I felt good about myself, uh, about walking this blind lady to where she needed to be. She was going the exact same direction I was going. I did nothing. I did nothing. I probably walked faster and better while she was with me. She probably helped me to avoid an accident or something because of the way I crossed streets and things like that. Here's a, it's not because I was a good person. Not because I was a good person. You and I, are not, listen, we do not come to God based on the merits of our goodness. If it was based on the merits of your goodness, Jesus would not have had to die. We go to God based on the merits of his goodness. Not on what we've done, but what he's done. Not on how I behave, but about what he has already accomplished. We come to Christ not with stuff ready to give him and saying, Hey, God, I've got $99.50. Could you make up the other 50 cents so I could make it in? Could you, could, you, could you do that? No, no, no. We come and we say, I owe... Three trillion, four billion, two hundred and twenty-two million, five hundred and thirty-six thousand, six hundred and seventy-three dollars and thirty-seven cents. I owe that. By the way, could you pay that and let me in? And we don't even do that until he woos us to himself. We go to God. No, I don't need you. This is not a message about how to gather a relationship with God, how to be a good man. Being good for goodness sake is not the Christian message. This is not good news. This is not the gospel. Let me tell you something. I wish I was a better husband. I'm not greatly on husbandry, and I'm not as good as I want to be. Like, I'm not even talking about comparing me to you. I'm talking about comparing me to at least the standard I want to achieve. so many regrets as a father I can't even begin to tell you. I've walked over so many homeless people it's disgusting just to get to the important places I need to be because it's so much more important for me to get to the place that I need to be than to provide for this homeless person. But worship looks like something Worship looks 
like something. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about this particular scripture, and he was having a tough time because he's in a church where you can, you know, like how over here, you know, we all raise our hands and we go, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a crack smoking transvestite and, you know, do all this other stuff and like, you know, go all crazy and all that other stuff. And then like in some churches, you can't even say that you, you, you desire a cigarette, like or something like that, right? In some churches, it's like that. Over here, not so much. In fact, some of y'all get too honest, make me uncomfortable, right? And so, you know, and so, <laughs> make me all nervous and stuff. Actually, continue, continue to get honest. That's not what I mean. What I am saying, and I forgot what I said because I just, the Lord rebuked me in my heart. See, I can't even be up here and not sin, right? I just, like, I'm constantly just saying things that I ought not say and all that other stuff. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, and this is really, really important. God, if he's commanding you to do this, will empower you to do this because you're a worshiper of the king. And the king will empower you. But please, don't do what we're about to talk about here. Don't do it. And say, God, how much do you owe me now? God, how much, you know, because now I've done good. You know, I hear this all the time. We never think like this, but we talk kind of like this all the time. We say things like, oh, but they were going, I can't believe they got sick. They were going to church and serving God and everything. What are you saying? Here, here let, let me tell you something. I promise you, you'll suffer. I, I swear to you, you'll suffer. If you live for another day, you'll suffer. Your marriage will go bad. Your kids will, you know, do things that hurt your feelings. Your, your finances will go up and down. Listen, things will suffer. Listen, Jesus has never, ever, one time in the entire Bible promised that he, that he would make your problems go away. He only promised that he would be there with you when your problems arise. So that when you come, when you get cancer, like some of us have gotten here, we go, oh, wait, wait, wait. God didn't promise that I wouldn't get cancer. He just promised to be there when the cancer got there and to walk me through it. It's a worship that God is looking for from his people. And it's a worship that's not for one day in a particular hour while you dress in a particular way, listening to a particular person in a particular music that doesn't affect your Monday through Saturday. If that's worship, it's at best hypocrisy and at worst damnable. That is not the worship that God is looking for. So as he's our king, Lord, God, and sovereign, as he's the one that we give our lives for because he gave his life for us, as he's the one that we love because he loved us first, as he's the one that we worship because he saved us for that very thing, as he's the one who we pursue because he gave us ears to hear and eyes to see, as he's the one who knocked on the door of the church because the church was just so closed, as he's the one who pursues us, woos us, gives us the desire, gives us the strength to go to him, and then empowers us every step of the way. He said, this is what it should look like for the rest of your life. And so it looks like this. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Say that with me. Act justly. Love mercy, walk humbly. Say that one more time. Act justly. 
love mercy, walk humbly. Now listen to me. I want you to do this not as an ought to, but as an expression of your worship. Let me tell you something. I have such an intense love for my wife that there's something that I, it just wells up within me. It's, it's a simple thing. It's called a kiss. You never, ever, like if you love the, the you know, when you get married, if you're not married, but if you're married, it's, that's, nobody ever had to put that on like your to-do list. Kiss your wife. Kiss your husband, right? That doesn't ever get on the list. That is an overflow of your love. I noticed that one of my daughters, whenever I do something really, and I'm trying to follow this, because if I can follow this, then I can, I can bless her so that some other little cretin little boy, uh, when he tries to, she'll already be filled with, with my love. Yeah, you don't even want to know what goes through my mind. Looking at gun catalogs and everything, it's terrible. Not really. But she comes, she'll sit on my lap, and she'll kiss me on my cheek. And it's usually for something of service, an act of service. So that's our love language. I'm trying to figure it out. It flows out of her. I don't have to ask it of her. It flows. It, she didn't have to say, now when your father does this, I want you to sit on his lap, give him a kiss, and give him a hug. It just naturally flows out. If you're religious, you know what you'll do? You'll put act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, and you'll say, then worship Jesus on Sunday, if you're religious. If you're in Christ and you're a worshiper of the King, you'll say, I worship God. And it overflows into acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. Now listen up at me because I'm going to give you some practical things. I'm going to speak to several different groups, okay? I'm going to speak to marriages, I'm going to speak to husbands, I'm going to speak to singles and all that other stuff. I'm coming down here because I'm seeing your eyes. And yes, the shoes are beautiful. I love them too. I love them. I love them. They're fabulous. Fabulous. but I need you to focus, okay? Now that, now that that's out of the way, focus up in here, okay? Got him on sale. Love me. Okay, now, we're back to, now we're back to where we need to be. I'm going to speak to several different groups of you, but this is, should be an outflow of your worship. This should be overflowing into your marriage, acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God. This should overflow into your workspace. This should overflow. That, listen to me. Listen to me. Here's what I'm begging God for us. Right? For us. I am begging God that people in this community would look to this congregation and say, I don't know if I believe everything that they believe, but they're the most loving, most God, if God-centered is being like them, I... I'll at least listen. I want that to be our heart. I don't want us to be so busy fighting for our rights that we forget our responsibility of worshiping the king and that coming from an overflow. So just like a kiss overflows from love and eating overflows from a hunger, just like an embrace overflows from love, listen to me, acting justly, Loving mercy, walking humbly, 
overflows from your relationship with Jesus. Let's talk about acting justly, okay? Husbands and wives, listen to me. This is so central to the gospel. Here's the thing, here's the thing. When you have a wife, when you have a husband, and and this goes, we're going to broaden this out, but you need to, You need to give grace in your justice. You need to give grace in your justice. Let me, let me give it to you like this. Don't just forgive your spouse when they deserve forgiveness. In fact, many times you'll be forgiving your spouse when they don't even recognize what they've done wrong. I mean, am I the, right? Am I the only one in marriages like that? No, I'm only the only one. I get it. I understand. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 no, it's, there's, there's a sense where sometimes your spouse steps on your shoe and they go, I didn't know I stepped on your shoe. I didn't step on your shoe. You can't make me admit that I stepped on your shoe. Your shoe, your shoe was over there. My shoe's over here. Show me the mark. Like, you know, it's just one of those things where you're just like, okay, no, really, you hurt my feelings. And you just, watch this. The only people that we want to give justice to, if we give justice at all, It's to people who deserve the justice. Think about this for a second. What if the gospel was that way? What if Jesus would only give you justice? And what if Jesus would only give you justice without grace? And what if Jesus would only give you justice so long as you deserved it? You and I would be lost forever. Jesus says, justice must happen. Justice must happen, so I'll go to the cross. Justice must happen, so I'll get the beating. Justice must happen, because you can't, listen, God can't wink at sin. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that sin is not the biggest problem in the universe. You know what the biggest problem in the universe? Forgiveness. Because how does a holy, just God forgive people of their sin? How does that even happen? Anybody remember Bathsheba, right? And, and David, Caesar, goes, pretty looking lady, invites her over. Turns out she's his boy's wife. In my neighborhood, that's a no-no. Right? right? Has any of you, like, in my neighborhood, it was like this. Oh, she went out with Frankie. So it was like six months before you could even say hello to her. Like, even she was like, you know, uh, uh, like uh, separated from them. That, that's the way it was in my neighborhood, right? Did anybody else grow up with that silly sort of, you know? Yeah. And so... Um, So he sees her, takes her for himself. Remember what happens? Takes her for himself, sleeps with her, takes advantage of her, abuses her. This is not consensual. She is under... The king, who, by the way, could have your neck, just required something of you. What are you going to do? She's under his power. Sleeps with him. She tells him she's pregnant. David gets the, you know, because David's just the smartest person in the room. Have you ever been the smartest person in the room? Nobody can tell you nothing, right? You're just the smartest person. Every suggestion you receive is stupid because you're so smart, right? But David is the smartest person in the room. So he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll get Uriah, her husband. I'll get him over, and I'll send him to her to have sex with her so that when she comes out and says she's pregnant, he'll think, oh, look, rejoice, that time that I came home, um, it's my kid, right? That's what'll happen. Uriah is an honorable man. He refuses to go, and so what does David do? He has him killed. Has him killed. 
This isn't the Bible. You should read your Bible. It's like days of our lives. And so, <laughs> so, um, so David does that. Now watch this. Nathan, the prophet. Remember what we just said? We said that, for, listen, sin is not the biggest problem in the universe. Forgiveness of sin is the biggest problem of the universe. So, so Nathan comes in and he does this like, you know, flannel graph thing where he just, you know, gives David a, like a, a Bible study and, and he tells David, he tells David, what should we do? And David goes, you know, he gets incensed about something that he says. And then Nathan goes, you're the one that I've been talking about this whole time. You're the criminal. You're the one who deserves punishment. He says it this way. You are the man. David falls on his knees. If you want to hear his response, look up Psalm 51. Not now, later. Look up Psalm 51, and you'll hear a contrite response from David. Woe unto me, my bones ache, I'm broken. But then Nathan comes back, and you know what he says? He goes up to David, he goes, you're sorry? The Lord forgives you. Don't worry. God has has decided to forgive you. Let me ask, how'd you like to be Uriah's dad at that moment? Mendito, you feel bad? You're forgiven. How'd you like to be Bathsheba's mom in that moment? Oh, you feel bad? Come on. Somebody rapes my daughter and then kills her husband and then goes before the, the judge right here on Court Street. And the court looks on him and he says, Mendito, are you sorry? Don't worry about it. Listen, case dismissed. Listen to me. Sin is not the biggest problem. There's an easy answer for sin. Hell. Sin is easy to answer. There's a punishment for sin. It's called hell. But how does a holy, just God bring justice and mercy into the situation. How does a holy God who cannot deny himself come and bring justice to a bunch of people who deserve nothing but hell? Oh, I know. He pays the penalty. He goes, you committed the murder? You committed the, the, the rape? I'll take the death penalty for that. Acting justly in the gospel means that you look like Jesus. That you look like you look at others the way Jesus looks at you. Does she deserve forgiveness? Maybe she doesn't, but neither did you. Does he deserve forgiveness? Maybe he doesn't, but I'm grateful that God didn't grade you on that curve. To act justly in marriage, listen to me, to act justly means to take a lot of wounds. And not just in marriage, when you're outside. Listen to me, when you're outside, I have this thing, right, where I don't mind, and I'm just going to confess to you because I'm a sinful guy and I don't, you know, I just want you to know. Listen, I have no problem helping people who don't seem to have gotten themselves into the mess they're in. So single moms who dads left them and they left them with the three kids, they can stay at my house, 
They can eat my food. I'll provide for them financially. I'll do everything I can. I won't. I can't abide by that, right? But when I see sometimes some of the people that I, I deal with on a daily basis who are doing it to themselves, I, I don't seem to have that kind of gospel-centered view of them. Imagine, I wonder who was like the prime, like you know, who was the person who hurt me the most? Anybody know? It was me. I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who chose to transgress. I'm the one. Imagine if God, if the gospel was, all right, I'm only going to save you if you deserve it. I'm only going to save you if you didn't get yourself into that mess. Listen, act justly. Act justly. In other words, do justice. Do what's right in your workplace, in your home, with your parents, with your children. Do what's right. That's what act justly means. That you, absolutely. Yeah, that was fantastic. I thought it was great. And so um, some of you should have flowed with that, but you didn't. I understand. Listen to me. Do justice. And in marriage, it means taking the hit and going, Jesus, this hurts like crazy. They don't deserve... Did you see what they did to me? And then spending that time with Jesus, and he's going, did you see what you did to me? It looked like a cross on a mountain garbage heap with a filleted back, with a face that was so mutilated that it couldn't be distinguished. It's out of our worship that we can do justice because we've been so beautifully treated. We can extend that beauty as an overflow. Have you been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed. Have you been hurt? Jesus was hurt. Did you give your love only to get hurt? Jesus gave love only to get hurt. Was the very person that you were trying to help double-cross you? Jesus knows what that's like. Did the people that you trusted with your finances take those finances and, and, and use them unwisely and even sinfully? Jesus knows what that's like. That's what John says about Judas, that he took the purse and he, and he used it for his own private gain. Do justice is to do what's right. That's what God wants us to do. As, as, as we're worshiping God, it just overflows into doing what's right. Act justly. Love mercy. This word mercy is a wonderful word. It can also be translated faithfulness. It can also be translated faithfulness. In fact, in the Net Bible, it's translated that, faithfulness. And so, um, love faithfulness. Love mercy. Listen, can I be honest with you? This ministry persists because of the faithfulness of a few. It's just that way. This ministry goes forward because there's a few people that are faithful. Now, if you're new, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We love you. Please keep coming back. We want to help you grow in Christ. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Some of us have not learned to love faithfulness. On your job, loving faithfulness means you come early and you stay late because you're a fantastic employee and you're faithful. 
It means that you act the exact, you type just as fast when the boss's head is over your shoulder as when he's on vacation. You get as many clients out the door or in the door as when your boss is away. Listen to me, listen to me, look up. It means that you don't, in your marriage, it means that you do not have relationships. Let, 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 me, uh, let me see if I can speak this. Okay, if you're married, right? If you're married. Your closest, best friends should not be single men. Guys, listen to me. Love faithfulness. Love faithfulness. Your best friends should not be... I'm not saying that you shouldn't have single men, and, and I see some single men, I love y'all, right? I'm just saying that single men have different priorities than married men. That's all. And if you love faithfulness, and you believe that your faithfulness should go to God, and then it should go to your wife, and then it should go to your children, your best friends should be those who are married, who are pursuing Jesus. Wives, listen. You should, if you're having problems in your marriage, you should not be talking to the guy at work about the problems that you're having with your husband. That's not loving faith. That's, that's just stupid. That's just like inviting terror into your life. How bad is that? How many times have you heard a story like that? Am I the only one who's heard this stuff? Listen to me. Love faithfulness. Listen to me. In your church community, what does it mean to love faithfulness? It means, listen, it's not just you showing up on Sunday. It's you coming in here with a purpose, going, who can I serve? Who can I love? Who can I lead to Christ? Who can I, who can I bless with a meal? Who can I put it in your budget? Going, you know what? Every Sunday, I'm going to take somebody that I don't know from this congregation. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we were trying to outbless each other? It's just loving faithfulness. Not just do faithfulness, love faithfulness. Not just do mercy, love mercy. Love mercy and faith. So act justly, love mercy, and then here it is. Walk humbly with your God. I'll do this in close. Now listen. Which anybody knows when I say I'll do this in close? Does anybody know what that means? Nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing. All right, so um, walk humbly. What that means, what does it mean to walk humbly? It means to walk with one ear tuned to the Lord. It means that as you walk, because what the text is not saying that there's a specific, like there's a, there's a way to walk proud, right? You know? <laughs> and then there's a way to walk humble. Right? That's not what the Bible is saying. When the Bible is saying, walk humbly, the Bible is saying, they didn't think I had the strut, right? And so, when the Bible says, walk humbly, listen to me, listen to me, come back in now, come back in, tune in, tune in, because you tuned out, come back in. When the Bible says to walk humbly, it means to live in a way that is sensitive to the voice of God. Listen, some of you are so sensitive to the voice of God, that you don't want to come back anymore. Because God is telling you to do, God is telling you to abandon your God. And you're going, no, I love her, I love him. But the money, the overtime, but the car and the stuff, but the, but the prestige and the, listen to me, listen to me, come on. 
You don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 seconds. Isn't that true? God knows what's going to happen in the next 30 years. Wouldn't it be wise then to walk with an ear sensitive to God? When he says, no, you know what? I want you to take this job over this job. Yeah, but this one is so much more convenient and so much more all this and all this. And no, no, no. I want you to take this one because this one. And then you find out a year later, you find out a year later that that business goes. I, I remember the, the story of this, um, uh, this guy who used to lead uh, one of the biggest humanitarian groups in the world, like top ten biggest humanitarian groups in the world. And he was selling... Um, silverware, like fine silverware, right? He was selling fine. He was the C, he wasn't selling. He was the CEO of an organization that sold fine silverware, like the kind of stuff that you would see in like Barack Obama's cabinet or in like Queen Elizabeth's cabinet or you know stuff like that. Like the, you know just really super fine, very rich, several thousand dollar silverware type of things for the rich and famous. And God whispered in his heart and said, "I want you to be." the CEO of this, and make a 20th of what you would, like nothing. Like I want you to, what I want you to do is I want you to give up the personal, you know, I want you to give up the corporate jet. I want you to give up the seven figures. I want you to give up, and I want you to take five figures, fly coach, and do stuff that, you know, you, you don't get thanked for by anybody. And he did that. And two years later, that silverware um, company went in the tubes. And now, now listen to me. Because he listened to the voice of God, it, he was blessed that he did the right thing. I heard uh, a whisper one time, um, and, and, and it just blew me away. Um, and I don't, by, by the way, I can give you a million stories about how I didn't listen to God, um, but I have one or two about when I did. And I, and I literally remember that I was in my, I was, I was on vacation with my family. It was like a weekend thing. It was a Memorial Day weekend. And the Lord whispered into my heart that I should quit my job. I should quit my job and pastor this church. Now that sounded to me like the stupidest thing that I ever heard in my life. Because anybody know how much y'all pay? Not much, right? And back then, it was zero. I worked for the first three years for zero dollars, right? Nobody ever asked for my paycheck. When, you know, if anybody sees nice shoes, then they start asking for my paycheck. But before then, they never did. Zero dollars. And so I started to work. And it was such a struggle for me. But one of the things that was magnificent is I told God I had, I had a couple of, I had a couple of um, objections. The first objection is that my wife was pregnant with my thir- third child. She was pregnant with my third child, uh, or, my th- or my last child, my fourth child. And we didn't have any way to medically pay for that. We just had no way to do it. And so she, um, so the, and at the time, it was like $12,000 to give birth to a child. And then the other problem was this whole thing about not making any money. I had just gotten a union position. And anybody knows, like, right, if you grew up in Brooklyn, if you grew up in my neighborhood, everybody wants the union job, right? You want the benefits. You want the 401K. You want that, right? So I had finally, I had worked all my life, finally got the union job, Right? had the position, had the benefits, was looked upon with great esteem, was moving up in my organization, was doing just fine. And God said, no, I want you to leave that. I want you to go to the church. And here's the, here's the deal. Here's how it ended. I, you know, I said, God, I have, you know, how are we going to get by? I don't have any money. 
B, how are we going to do this thing with um, how are we going to do this thing with having this kid? And would you believe? Would you believe that the very day that I decided that I wrote down and, the, and then I brought in my resignation to my job, or I told them that I was going to resign. And so, to, would you believe the very next day, uh, my wife calls me up and she says, "You know, honey, remember when we applied for this medical coverage to see if we could get it, and they declined us?" She said they called us back. The city called us back and said that they'll give us uh, the medical coverage. It was a mistake on their part. Okay. Who here has had a New York City agency call their house and say they had a mistake? Raise your hand. Go ahead, right? Like, yeah, not many, right? Yeah, not many. Okay. So right, watch this. Watch this. Number two. She calls me an hour later and she says, honey, did you put, I think the number was like $2,800, $2,800. She goes, did you put $2,800 in the bank? And I thought that was the stupidest question in the world. I thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. I said, $2,800, I don't have 28 cents. I said, where would I get $2,800? And she goes, well, it's in our account. And I was like, yo, take that out now, because somebody made me mistake. No, I'm kidding. That's not what I did. 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 What I did. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. I said, leave it there. Somebody must have made a mistake, but nobody did. And neither did God. He was looking out for us. And did you know that God put $2,800 and change? I can't remember what the change was. He put $2,800 a month in that account every, every month for years. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Listen to me. Do what's right. Out of your worship, go, Jesus, I love you so much. You've done what's right with me. I'm going to overflow that into others. Love, faithfulness. Lord, you've been so faithful to me. That's going to overflow to my husband, my job, the people out on the street, my neighbors. I'm going to overflow faithfulness. Lord, you've been so... Jesus, you listen to the voice of the Father. I'm going to listen to your voice. Act justly, love mercy. Walk humbly with an ear up to God. So here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to ask yourself, what does act justly look like in your home? What does it look like in your workplace? Love mercy, what does that look like? Love being faithful, what does that look like? I don't know. What is, I don't know. God knows. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for my friends. I thank you, Lord, that you could give wisdom about how to apply this sermon. I thank you that you could give us direction on how to apply. Father, I pray for the husbands. I pray that the husbands would go home and teach their children and their wives what they just learned now. I pray that they would read these scriptures to their children, reminding them, reminding them that God has been just and merciful and faithful. That he has been wonderful to us. Father, my prayer is that for each and every person here, that the response that you give them would be the response that they would obey. Father, I know that there are many people here who are fractured and broken. Many people here who are hurting. Lord, would you, would you teach them what it means to have a relationship with you? Some don't know. Lord, we've been talking to Christians today. Lord, would you bring these who don't know you to yourself?
Would you bring them to yourself? Would you help them to love you with all their heart? Would you, out of an overflow of the worship that you give them, would you then in applicable ways tonight and tomorrow help them to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God?